How's it going? Hi, John. It's like I just saw you. So yeah, week four, hot dog. Um, okay, so this month we're talking about how we best equip each other, right? We've gone through a whole lot of stuff, but last week um, in one of the discussions in cell group, I wanted, I promised a couple people that we were going to talk about, or I said that we were going to talk about um, communication in being the best way, like talk about discussing how to communicate in the best way so that the message is received. Where's Elie? Elie's not here today. Or he is, but he's not in here. He was one of the people. Um, but anyway, communicating in the best way for maximum reception of that. You know, we have classes, like college classes all the time about communication and how important that is and in marriage and, and all these things. Um, and those things are true. Communication is important. It's important that people actually hear you. But when I was looking at that, when I was looking to develop that sermon, what I kind of realized is that's, that's not really founded in Scripture a whole lot in terms of tailing our message so that people will receive it. The focus is just in a little bit of a different place than that. It's what is found is communicating in accordance to where the person is at. And it's a fine difference. Communicating where the person is at spiritually, where the person is at mentally, where the person is at emotionally and physically. You know, addressing all those things, taking those into account as we're approaching a person, not necessarily tailoring it for the best reception. It's, it's like the difference between um, the end justifying the means and using the right means throughout. Does that make sense? So when you're, if you're trying to tailor your communication so that it's received well or so that it's heard, that's, you're, you're putting that label on what you want the end goal to be. And the idea behind that is kind of that you'll do whatever it takes so that that message is heard. But that's not really what we see in Scripture. It's a subtle but significant difference. There's an emphasis on changing your style versus, say, changing your target. It's kind of like that phrase, being a respecter of men versus speaking to the person, speaking into the person. You know, and we're not to be respecters of persons in like that, but respecters of God. And based on that, speaking to that person in a way that really matters to them and helps them in their relationship with God and with one another. <coughs> so, we, instead of um, changing ourself and potentially compromising our values so that a message can be received, we want a fitting delivery that's targeted into that person that will be able to equip them in an appropriate and productive way, long-term. One leads down the path of political correctness, for example, where you get into that slippery slope of, you know, I don't want to offend that person, I want it to be well-received. And the other, down the path of penetrating truth. That's the path that we want. And that truth can be dormant for a time, it can be rejected at first, you know? But we want it to be deep so that it stirs the conscience, so that it stirs the pot, 
and that those things can bear fruit later. We see from Scripture that we don't always see the fruit of what we do when we follow God. The ends don't justify the means. God gives us the means to do things, and he takes care of the end. That's what Scripture teaches, and that's what we're supposed to do. And there is a side effect a lot of times when you follow God's direction, right? And that side effect is that a lot of times there is a better reception and effectiveness in communication. It's just not our starting point. It's not our premise. The premise is doing right by God and right by man in how we're targeting, <coughs> in how we equip each other. So we need to keep it personal as we seek to equip each other by addressing the individual um, role of that unique person, their individual need, that individual heart, um, in a way that addresses their unique position and attributes and maturity so that we can be effective in our communication long-term and not just right then and there. We want to approach people according to their positions and roles. We find that in Scripture, right? Let's take a look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, verse 11. Oh, I didn't have a bookmark today. Not too far. There's old Titus and Mr. Timothy right before that. <coughs> okay, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, and going through chapter 5, verse 2. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you've received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what's right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Never speak harshly to an older man. So that before was kind of the lead up. That's kind of the context of, you know, teaching. Timothy is being written to by Paul, um, encouraging him to teach and to equip his people in a certain way. And now Paul follows through with that. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. We need to be giving wise advice. Um, we need to be taking wise advice from Paul as Paul is giving it to Timothy. You know, put ourselves, as we're trying to equip others, like Timothy was trying to do, we need to put ourselves in his shoes and take Paul's advice here. And we see him giving wise advice to Timothy, who's called to teach and equip. It's not a caste system that's in Scripture, right? When we're talking about positions and roles, we're not talking about a divided class structure, only roles. We have equal value as believers, all created in the image of God, but we have different responsibilities. And it's our responsibility individually to respect that and to understand that that, that comes with a certain functional and personal um, relational difference there, too. Paul says that we should treat older people with a level of respect and humility as we're trying to 
equip them. We're not excluded from equipping anybody, but just doing it a certain way that makes things effective, that honors how God wants us to operate, honoring our fathers and mothers, like the, one of the Ten Commandments says. So as a father or mother or person who's taking care of you, you know, we want to treat that person a certain way with a level of respect and humility as we're appealing to equip them. We can even equip elders of the church, right? That's um, one of the things that applies to that. Or welders, or deacons, or maybe in the future, sojourners, people that, you know, can go out and make churches that are different levels of um, authority within the church structure. We should respect that position, though. Um, There's no special abilities from that position, right? It's only special responsibilities. So, we need to equip and appeal to that leader. Now, if you pay attention to what was said in there, we're supposed to talk about, we're supposed to view those people as mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and things like that too. So when we're approaching people to equip them, to treat them a certain way in this context of teaching that's being set up here, a good way to box that in for ourselves so that we can understand it, you know, through and through in a relevant example is to think of those people as family, right? And it's like, we could say, oh yeah, brothers and sisters in Christ or whatever, but at the end of the day, when you have a quick interaction, it's really easy, and even within your own family, because a lot of us have dysfunctional families, you know, to not treat that person with the love and respect that we're supposed to from birth. And those types of things, when you honor that, makes people, for example, not put up walls, right? And so they listen to what you have to say. And that's what we're kind of trying to get at at the end of the day, but that's not our premise. Our premise is follow how God says that we should treat each other when we're communicating. So, what is the difference, I would ask, between like Julia talking to James and trying to equip him and prepare him for something that he's going through versus Julia talking to Josh. There's a certain intimidation or whatever when you go outside of that like family or marriage relationship that's direct, you know? But the scripture says that everybody is accessible in this way when you're trying to equip a person you just need to approach in a certain way. And I would submit to you that the only difference, the only real difference is the depth of knowledge of this other person, you know. Julia knows James and knows how to, you know, respect his boundaries and respect his authority and and whatever. And so when she appeals to him in that way, it's like, it's a pattern, you know. But we shouldn't be afraid to go outside that and have that conversation with other people as long as we do it with humility and respect and wanting to be productive in that, you know? Understanding where God has us in our responsibilities. So, just talking about those things. Um, We should all be able to, quote-unquote, appeal to our elders, whether that's an actual elder or somebody that's just 
older in general, you know, like my parents or Susan or whoever, you know, somebody that has been through it and, and uh, you know, deserves a level of honor in, our, in their relation to us. But what about the younger men and the younger women, those people that we're supposed to treat as our brothers and sisters? Are they under our authority, we have to ask? Is that person under our authority? If the answer is yes to that, then we need to make sure to treat them as such. Just as we're supposed to make sure to treat older people with honor, we have to treat people that are under us as if we are, in fact, in authority over them, and they should honor us. And in converse, that we should have that appropriate relationship with them. Paul says for Timothy to insist that these people learn how to be godly. There's a certain authoritativeness to that, a certain content, a certain power that is called from that delivery. We need to own our responsibility as we seek to equip each other in this way for our our younger brothers and younger sisters, and even our peers in the same way, you know, depending on the relationship. We need to deliver our advice and encouragement with authority when we are compelled to do that and know that we're doing things not just from a cultural standard, but something that is confirmed a value that God holds when we represent God in what we're teaching and equipping. We need to treat them as if they're really under our charge and influence. If these things, if these like key words, you know, like authority and respect and um, treat them as being under your charge, send up red flags, we just need to be aware that that's because of the world's impression on us, right? Those things are 100% biblical, and we need to conform ourselves to the biblical standard of that. We need to remember Matthew chapter 20, verse 24 and 28, where the apostles are trying to be better or higher than one another. They're like fighting amongst each other about who's going to be the best and who's going to sit next to Jesus um, when he enters his kingdom and when they enter the kingdom with him. Verse 24, when the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked to be seated with Jesus, they were indignant. The other disciples were indignant. But Jesus called them together, teaching moment, and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people. They lord their authority over the people. They demand this respect. They demand obedience in harsh ways. They, the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So these things aren't red flags from the God that who we come from, because it's inverted. The leaders are the people that should be serving the most. And when we're talking about equipping, that comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of discernment, a lot of decision-making and wisdom that you're responsible for, direction that you're responsible for. And so we need to treat that with respect, treat that responsibility with respect. There is a, a level of care and investment in that illustration that shouldn't be overlooked. 
Um, trying to figure out how I want to present this. As a person who has a responsibility to be in authority over another person, yet be a servant to them, we need to recognize that this power is for the benefit of others and feel the weight of that. You know? And so take into account all those things and treat them with the respect on both sides that it shouldn't be overlooked. It's a personal and profound investment, one of sacrifice to teach and equip another person. Jesus keeps it personally tailored to where we're at multiple times, multiple times all throughout scripture. And he's a great one to look at. We're going to read Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22, as an example of this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing that you haven't done, he told the man. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now in this story, we see that Jesus was approached by a man who appeared to, to honestly you know, want to know about this, want to learn about this, and he was asking for, for a critical assessment of where he was at, you know? And so Jesus respected that, and he's like, do all these things, and the guy was like, I got that covered. And then Jesus, looking at the man, felt a certain way about him, right? Now that word when he paused to look at this man, to look him over, it is emblepo. En emblepo, properly to stare or look with like a locked-in gaze, you know, to really look at him in a sustained and concentrated way with special interest, love or concern, or to discern clearly. You know, he was looking this guy over, looking through him, you know, to see where he was coming from in this. Jesus took people seriously in this way, and that's one of the things that's really admirable and that we can learn from him as people seeking to equip each other. He took him seriously, gave that person weight and respect. Respect, even in our language, kind of relates to that. Re is again, and spectare are the root words of that. Re, like to look again, or yeah, re is again, spectare to look, so like look again. It, it harkens back to that same Greek thing that has to do with respecting a person is really looking at them and giving them a serious thought and seeking to understand that person. 
Respect is giving people due consideration. Jesus did that in a concentrated way. Special interest, love, and concern. In this story, Jesus looked at the man and respected him enough as a child of God to take a moment and figure out what it was that he really needed to take that next step that he was looking for in his relationship with God, or that he needed. Maybe he didn't even fully comprehend what was going on in that, but Jesus took that time and said, this guy is, you know, a good person. He's doing all these things, but what does this person need to be equipped to be a real child of God? What does he need? And so Jesus was like, I know the weak point in your armor. It's all of your wealth. You need to sell that stuff and get rid of it. Start relying on God fully and come follow me. And the man was sad about that. He didn't receive it right off the bat, you know? One can hope that he went home and chewed on that and made a good decision later with his relationship with God. And maybe that took years, maybe it took days, maybe it never happened. But Jesus did the right thing regardless in that moment, looking into that person and figuring out what he really needed to hear to be equipped in that way. Jesus is down for the long group discussion, too, about those things. He, um, Jesus routinely gives his focus and personal attention to people, which leads him to, like, a wide range of approaches. You know, we see one approach in this example, but we see things happen over and over and over again while Jesus is equipping people, and he has a big arsenal in terms of that. Um, he likes to say for the long group discussion with a whole bunch of people. He likes to have a personal one-on-one thing. It just depends. But looking at the long deal, Jesus spends long hours in preaching to the forever present masses that follow him around, right? He observed that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Once again, he looked at them and saw a deeper compassion behind that, you know, that they needed something. And so he was willing to stay out late and to be exhausted and drag people along with him and give them that example because the people desperately needed that, and he was willing to take that moment and understand what they really needed, even when he's trying to escape them, you know, rowing across a lake to get away from people, to be alone, to be alone with God, and getting literally, like, chased by a crowd of people, and being like, okay, these people clearly really need this, so I'm going to stay, and I'm going to preach for more hours. Or the Samaritan woman, um, like we just, well, that's a different one. Samaritan woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, right? Basically what happens is Jesus is doing his thing and the Pharisees like drag this this lady out who was caught committing adultery. And they say, Jesus, the law of Moses, the law that we follow, says that this woman should be stoned. What do you say? You know, because he'd constantly been going against their established authority structure and whatever. So was Jesus going to they were trying to trap him, right, into, into going against the law of Moses or even possibly against the law of the Romans, which said that you're not supposed to kill um, people. You're not supposed to institute the death penalty because the Jews were under Roman rule at this time, right, and only the Rom- Romans were allowed to, to give the death penalty. But Jesus took another route in that, and... He flipped it on them. He showed forgiveness for the woman in this situation who was literally about to be killed, you know? He looked at her, and he was like, what does this woman need in this moment? Well, point proven, she's literally about to get 
killed. These people are ready to, to stone her. They weren't always terribly great at respecting the laws of the Romans, as we saw you know, like all through um, the Gospels here. But she had that point made to her. She was humbled. Um, now she needed forgiveness and a reinforcement of God's standard. That was Jesus' evaluation in that moment of that. <clears throat> and he provided that for her. He flipped it on the Pharisees who were trying to trap Jesus and said, yeah, the law does say that she should be stoned. Now, let the person that hasn't sinned cast the first stone at this sinner. Right? He, at the same time, addressed her need and the Pharisees' need at the same time because their issue was that they weren't humbled, that they didn't look inside themselves. They were clean and shiny on the outside, but dirty and unclean on the inside. And so he took that law of Moses and turned that in and said, take it and look at yourselves, right? Dress them at the same time. Very creative. So when they, yeah, they tried to trap Jesus and it didn't really work out for them. But Jesus did what he was supposed to do was right before both types of people in that same situation. Now, we see Jesus being forgiving, and for lack of a better way to put it in a one word, we see Jesus being condemning also, right? With the Pharisees, he was constantly condemning them. We see this <coughs> opposite ranges of approaches being very forgiving and condemning. The Pharisees, though, needed something different when he looked into them. They had hard hearts. They were the opposite of humble, and that is a major roadblock between them and their relationship with God. So in equipping, trying to equip these religious leaders who had a great responsibility before a great number of people, he needed to turn their vision back on themselves. And they didn't respond to that very well, or at least the vast majority of them didn't. Same thing with his disciples, right? He was pretty harsh at times with his disciples, but they had high stakes coming up. They only had a couple years with Jesus where they had to really step up their game. To equip them, he had to be more stringent with them, higher expectations, turn them into the leaders that they were going to need to be. He had high expectations of maturity for them, and he called them into that situation. So we see Jesus taking opposite approaches, again, based on needs there. Um, he also showed a range of intensities, right? Not just the content, but even just the delivery of it. Sometimes he was soft and gentle to a person, like when sinners came to him with diseases or whatever, and he would heal them and say, your faith has healed you. Once again, that seems like an innocent or innocuous statement or whatever, but really it's taking a person who is you know, poor and right in spirit, coming to him, seeking his help, seeking God's help, and Jesus heals them in that way, has mercy on them, and then takes that example and points it to God and says, your faith has healed you. Your relationship with God has healed you in this situation. There's a quote that I found, no idea where it comes from, but I like it. It's called, uh, it says, gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch. In order to be truly gentle, you have to be strong first. Otherwise, if you're just gentle without the capability of being strong, then it's kind of just flimsy or weak, perhaps, you know. But the more, maybe the way to say that is the better example of gentleness is a 
strong hand, a strong capability, a strong authority with a soft touch. We see Jesus being gentle in that way. And then we see him being blunt and intense, you know, with the Pharisees, with going into the temple and seeing all the people that had turned it into a den of thieves, buying and selling stuff and, and extorting people for money or whatever was going on in there, and flipping over tables and all this stuff. He calls the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites and snakes and sons of hell, fools, whitewashed tombs, and murderers, like this whole list of things that are pretty big burns, you know? But he does it for a purpose, to pierce that tough exterior and get them to consider what's going on with that. And because there's harsh consequences for the people that they're leading and harsh consequences for them, he uh, fully recognized that they were going down a path that was not going to be good for them in the long run. So, we see different levels. Like, uh, I liken it to, you know, how do you react when a kid is going to spill their water, you know, off the table or something versus cross a busy street alone? You know, you can, you can react to the water thing, but it's like, not a big deal. Kid's about to cross the street alone, you know? That's like a death situation. And that's what we're dealing with here. When he's dealing with people like the Pharisees, it's a life or death situation for many, many people. There's grave consequences for that. For the people that are humble in spirit that are coming to him, they're in a right place to listen. They'll listen to a still, small voice, and that's more effective. So the point of this discussion, though, isn't to deal with all the separate techniques. That would take, you know, months and months and months to cover. Um, but it's to deliver a clear, purposeful message in a wide variety of ways. That's the point of what we're talking about and seeing these, like, range of things. And to sort of look at ourselves and see what we're capable of in that. See what sort of array we can choose from to address people where they're at and in ways that are pleasing to God and effective. So we need to take the time to look closely in that. And if we get overwhelmed, which we should, because if you're feeling the gravity and the complexity of the situation, you know that you're probably swimming in the deep end, you know, trying to figure out the depths of people and what they really need as spiritual beings and so on and so forth. We just need to hold scripture close to ourselves, right? And think about things like James chapter 1, where he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Understanding that our wisdom and our knowledge and relationship with these people that we're seeking to equip is rooted in God, and we need to continually pursue him for wisdom in that. You know, we are just people, and Jesus was fully man, but he also was a prophet of God and God. Like, he had a specific insight into the hearts of men that we can't ar expect ourselves to have on our own. We need to ask someone like him for that. And when I say someone like him, I mean the one God. I don't mean somebody like him, like, you know, whatever, Buddha or, or Muhammad or, or something like that. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God. He's the one that can give us those answers for that. And we should pray about those things as we're trying to equip people. Jesus also knows not just how to 
deliver a message effectively in a wide range of different things to, to apply specifically to different people and where they're at. But he also knows how to deliver the right message, the right content to the right place. Um, let's watch a clip. Let me play a clip. This is from the movie Remember the Titans. These kids, these high school kids, are in football camp. Uh, they're woken up at like 3 a.m. And the assistant coach just objected to it. He's like, they're just kids. They're waking up at 3 a.m. This isn't the Marines. But the coach is like, we need to go. Closed captions, right? So, what's going on here is, if y'all haven't seen Remember the Titans, it's a pretty good sports movie, but they have this team that's, it's based in, in times where segregation and integration and all that was major conflict still. And this team was fractured by racism and they couldn't work together, right? They introduced the black coach to the, to the school and um, they had a bunch of kids come in as the schools integrated together, and so there was like a black team of kids, and then the white team came in too, and there was like this conflict, you know, who's gonna play, and, and all this stuff, and people refusing and rebelling, and retaliating, like all these things. And they're at football camp, you know, before the season starts where, and this is the South, where football's like the biggest deal ever. You know, there's like no bigger deal than football. And so these kids are, putting it all in at football camp, and they can't come together. They can't work together as a team. There's all this, like, infighting and hatred and all these things. And Coach Boone there, he takes a look at what's going on, and you can see him throughout the movie, like, contemplating, you know, trying to figure out how it is that he can bring these people together. And so 
they went for a run at 3 a.m. to take these people out in extreme circumstance, in urgency, to repair that fracture, to speak to the heart of the need, you know, in a way that was piercing, in a content that didn't just address the surface peripheral matters. Like, he'd been trying to address that whole time. He figured out that he needed to address the heart of it, and the way he did that was by going to the Battle of Gettysburg. Now, the Battle of Gettysburg was a major, it was the turning point in the Civil War, and there was lots of bloodshed. And the Civil War, if you recall, was largely based on racism, right? That was a major division between the North and the South about whether slavery should be a continuing thing or that everybody should be free. And he came, he brought these kids to this place to remind them of that, that at this battlefield, brothers, black and white, from the same nation, came together, black and white on each side even, and slaughtered each other over this. And that this is the consequence of what's in their heart. That they are killing one another and splitting the nation of their team, you know? That there will be death if they don't come together. He took that opportunity to deliver them a profound message of the issue that was that at play. They needed perspective, and he needed them to feel it in their heart, to not, you know, try to slap band-aids on things and try to convince them of the logic of this and that, but to speak to the heart of the matter and to the heart of each person there. Jesus speaks to core issues in this same way, like on the sermon, at the Sermon on the Mount. He isn't teaching, you know, individual, like, little behaviors. He's preaching to these core points. He starts with where God is at. Here, let me turn there. Matthew chapter 5. He starts with where God is at, because that is the root of our worldview. Verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. He blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He calls the people to stand up. He lets them know, reminds them, who their God is, and who their God is calling them to be, what he values. And then he calls people to stand up to be flavorful salt and bright light instead of flavorless salt and a light under a basket that can't be seen. What use are those things? He introduces the idea that the people may not be who they should be, right? He's like, you guys understand things a certain way, but this isn't who you should be. Take a look at these principles. These are the heart of who you should be. Be flavorful salt. 
be a visible light. Then he addresses the main principles of the heart, like love and anger and giving and relying on the Lord. He speaks to the heart and allows that to apply in detail to the other issues. You start at the foundation and he lets that pervade because no teacher can address every circumstance and situation that there is. It's far more effective to teach the heart of a person. That's why, for example, with kids, we're supposed to raise them up in the Lord from early on so that we shape their heart and not just train them in their behaviors, right? That we shape who they are. Jesus addresses misunderstandings and deficiencies in verse 21 in that chapter. He says things like, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. He says, you've heard this, but I say this. You've heard this, but look deeper. He says, You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of the Father in heaven. Once again, you've heard this, but look deeper. What is the real meaning of who our God is? You've been taught a certain thing. You are a certain way, but you need to be better than that. You need to be deeper than that. How many inspirational speeches do we need to watch in movies, you know, that tickle those heartstrings? And why are so many about sports? You know? I watched, like, a list of, like, ten of the best quotes in movies, and, like, seven of them are sports movies, you know? Why are they all about sports? It's our, to our shame, it's our closest approximation in this culture of unity and love and productivity, right? Helping to equip one another. It's kind of sad. They speak to the depth of a person for this vain goal of, of coming together and winning as a team, but it tickles those heartstrings of who we're supposed to be as created in the image of God in the body of Christ. You know, it's creating a microcosm, a small little example in this sports team of who we're supposed to be as believers. They don't know that. They're just trying to win a game and maybe get a scholarship or whatever. And there's things at play like racism in that, stupid things like racism. And as significant as that is, it's a peripheral issue. The issue is the heart of those people and where they're coming from and learning to love one another as people, you know? It's like all these little fights about who's going to start first and, you know, whatever assumptions about what the color of your skin means and so on and so forth. Like, those things are peripheral issues, but all of those things are about murdering your brother in your heart, you know? And coming together and realizing that we're all made for the same purpose with the same God, that we need to work together on those things. And we portray those in our culture through things like sports movies. They speak to the depth of a person in that particular instance, and we get a taste of that. Speaking to the depth of a person is always the most powerful fertilizer for growth, you know? You can chip away at the, at the, at the tops of things, and it'll, like, make progress, and you'll get to the core eventually, but if you really want to make progress, you drill a hole to the middle of that rock, and you stick a piece of dynamite in that sucker, 
and it's not going to last long. It's going to blow that conception apart and allow you to rebuild in its place. That's what we're looking for, and that's what we learn from people like Christ. In this Coach Boone's speech, he did speak to the heart of the issue and wasn't fighting the peripherals anymore. And he came out incredibly successful, and it was a super inspirational movie. I recommend that you all watch it if you haven't. He called on the brotherhood of man, and he called on the wisdom of the dead that were, that were witnessing to them there, right, at the Battle of Gettysburg, to the witness of the dead. How much better is it to be disciples of Jesus Christ than that? Not just of inspirational Id- idols like Denzel, as inspirational and cool as he is, We listen not to the wisdom of the dead, but of the living God, Jesus Christ. So we don't equip each other factory style, the same for each person. We don't line up and offer the same attention to each person (coughs) based on ourselves, but we want to offer that attention to them based on them and where they're at as a person. Offer a custom care package. Jesus gave the example of a deep and personal look a look that seeks to engage you and me in a very personable way, in a very personal way. He's speaking to you and to me. He's teaching not just for the ancient crowd, but it's for you and me personally. The scripture is timeless like that. And when he did those things, he was speaking to all of humanity and even prayed for us in that. We should take the hint and take the time to address a person in a way that considers their position and role while treating them as family, to choose a specific and personalized approach as we equip a brother and sister with a wide range based on them instead of us, not based on our limitations, but on God's limitations. We need to address people in their depths to identify and speak to the heart of an issue or experience in order to truly bear fruit, and equip each other for success and unity for our body to succeed by God's standard. So, let's go and discuss and ask some questions amongst ourselves. As we consider each other's needs and growth, how can you better consider positions and roles? As we consider each other's needs and our growth, how can you better consider positions and roles in that? And how on that level to tailor your approach and respect and love of a person. What in your arsenal for ways to approach, uh, address, and equip people, you know, what's in your arsenal as far as the range of approaches that you have? Can you go outside of your normal zone of operation for the needs and the benefit of others by what God shows us is the range of appropriate? Or are you limited to your own personal, you know, habits and routine and personality or whatever? Do you take the time to figure out the heart of an issue? Do you take the time to figure out the heart of an issue? To really give that careful, considerate, discerning look in a person when you're sensing that something is amiss, you know? In a person that you feel called to equip. Do you take the time to figure out the heart of the issue, or are you trying to slap some 
putty, you know, and make it smoothed out or whatever, or take some sandpaper to it, or put some makeup on, or, you know, whatever, slap some frosting on the cake, even though it looks terrible right underneath the surface. What are you going to do? Do you figure out the heart of the issue? And how can you improve in that skill? It's a hard ethereal question, but it's something that you need to ask, that we all need to ask on a practical level, is how do we improve that skill of our discernment, looking into the heart of the issue, of what a person really needs in their core to blow apart that issue and expose what really needs to be talked about. Okay, let's go 